Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Waterloo Mayor Quentin Hart has a big vision for his community. He shared his roundabout path to becoming the first African-American mayor of his town, and how after four terms, he's still inspired every day to get up and do the job. He also talked about the importance of taking on statewide and national leadership roles and what he learned in the process. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do too. Mayor Quentin Hart, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Thank you for having me. So let's start with how are things in your city right now? Things have been very, very hot. (laughs) We just had a few days in the 90 plus and it's a little bit cooler today. But overall, I mean, 2023, the beginning of it has been an incredible year for us on so many different cylinders. So, yeah, tell me about what's going on, good and bad. All right. Well, part of being here in the climate we have, our summer season is when we have all of our festivals and our events from our farmer's market to my Waterloo Days to Irish Fest this weekend that's coming up. It's always the first weekend in August. And we have probably about 45,000 people that send to the city of Waterloo. And so our festival and events are doing incredible. So great time for uh, community cooperation and bringing people together. But, you know, when we take a look at infrastructure within the city, we have two major bridges that are under reconstruction, and we've had almost the perfect weather to be able to get out there and to get those bridges built. We have a ton of different projects from our people's clinic, expanding the services that uh, they're able to have for those that have the lease in our community. And so that's been good to see that happening. We have redevelopment in areas that we haven't seen development in more than 50 plus years. We It's our almost our anniversary of having a theme park, Lost Island theme park, or Lost World theme park open also. And then this August, in about another week or so, we're going to break ground on a $100 million fiber project. And it will be owned by the community, by our municipal telecom, and it will make us one of the largest cities in the entire state that has a 100% municipally owned fiber company as well. So from corner to corner, street to street, we are moving and shaking right now. I'm so proud of the incredible people that I work with every day to make these great things happen. I'm going to dive in because I think there's a lot of good stories in there and potentially models for other cities. 
But first, can I can we hear a little bit about your journey to becoming mayor and specifically the first African-American elected to the office of mayor in Waterloo? How'd you find yourself in this job in this time and place? You know, I wake up every morning and I ask that same question. (laughs) (laughs) But but you know what? I ask it a little differently. I'm just so blessed and honored to be in this position. I was born and raised in the city of Waterloo. My mother, Lily Hart, she came from Goodman, Mississippi. And my dad, who passed away about six months ago, Grossy Hart, came from Starkville, Mississippi. So they didn't know each other. But they came to Waterloo, Iowa at different times because our city was considered a community of opportunity. And so dad worked at John Deere, used to go in at about four o'clock in the morning to earn extra dollars to put me through college. And my mom worked at Allen. And uh, I think I counted one time there was a highway next to our house. And I think I counted she had uh, went across that highway about 19,000 times going back and forth to work. So when it comes to work ethic, you know, I get it from my parents. When it comes to learning how to treat people, I get that from my parents and from the good book. But, you know, after going to college, right, I started, I took a class called Social Problems and, you know, taking a look at all of the things that we were studying in the class from abandoned buildings to environmental issues to drugs in communities and, and a number of different areas, economic development. And I started thinking, right, like, wait a second, are they talking about Waterloo? <laughs> and so, you know, I came back after college, graduated, came back. I was fortunate enough to start my master's program for higher education, worked at Hawkeye Community College for about 18 years. But the passion inside of me started growing more and more for community redevelopment. And my mind was open up to the possibilities of how things could change when people throughout this entire community started to work together. And so there were some laggering issues that were still there. Chamberlain's manufacturing, which we've been working on since 2012, but it was a contaminated area that was just left by major company. Economic development in an area called Logan Plaza, you know, bringing back some of that pride and community activism. So You know, it was a perfect storm. So actually, I ran for a state seat that opened up because of redistricting. And guess what? I lost, right? (laughs) I think I'm dealing with state issues. And then the person that won was a former city councilwoman that vacated. So I'm saying, hey, let me run for her seat. And I ran for that seat and I lost again. But then, you know, it just became, Ryan, just about getting involved, getting activated. There's so many different ways that you can serve the community. You don't have to be somebody that's doing major things or be the elected official. You can be a community person that helps people put on events. So I just started learning. I started working. And I was fortunate enough to come up with the program called From the Heart, the Waterloo Home Enhancement Project. And during that, we were able to fix up about 300 homes for uh, low-income, elderly, and physically disabled residents. And so from there, and my work at the college became very engaged in the community, serving wherever I could serve, but not to be elected, but because I wanted to try to help make a difference to anyone that's trying to do anything. So four years later, I ran for the city council seat. I was fortunate enough to win it. I ran the next time uncontested. And then after eight years, I decided to run for mayor. But prior to that, I spent six years as mayor pro tem. 
And then as mayor, been here seven years, eight months, one day, 12 hours and 12 minutes. So I've appreciated every minute and consider myself so blessed to be in this position. So I came not because, you know, my family had this huge name or whatever, but just because of work and inspiration and and passion and and support of people. So I never campaigned on being the first African-American mayor. I did campaign on making sure that that bridge that sits downtown is no longer a dividing line and that no matter where you live in this community, you can see some types of sign of progress and opportunity. And and every child could see something tangible that's happening within their neighborhoods. And so that's why I ran to, to try to erase some of the challenges that have been here for so many years. And at the same time, to move our city ahead as quickly as it can. I love the journey and that you're honest about the, it's it's never a direct line, right? There's always ups and downs, detours and different paths. What advice do you have? Ryan, mine has been like a roundabout. (laughs) (laughs) What advice do you have to somebody who's, you know, like you, seeing challenges in their community, wanting to get engaged? but not sure quite how to start? Well, the biggest thing is maybe it's not running for office yet. Maybe there's an open seat on the United Way. Maybe your school district has a need for people to come in and volunteer. Maybe the Boys and Girls Club wants people to come in and read books to teens or whatever. So I believe that's one of the best ways to actually get engaged. So you get engaged and you don't necessarily have to have a title. You just have to have a heart and a passion for wanting to see positive things happening for people. And so I didn't necessarily, I don't need to be on the front lines. You know, I can be picking up trash after a basketball game somewhere. But, you know, being involved and being engaged, not so that you can be seen, but so that positive things could happen within your community is one of the greatest pipelines to the best elected officials that are serving right now. So that's number one. You know, do these positive things even when people aren't looking and you aren't Facebooking these things, right? Or wait, wait, I'm sorry, Instagram. I'm a little bit behind the times. Number two, get involved in city boards too. I was fortunate to be on the planning and zoning. So I learned a lot about the operations of the city and how land uses. So I kind of studied and learned as much as I could. And I think that's an excellent way to be involved because sometimes you need to find out exactly what people are doing and what organizations are doing before you can figure out how to make wholesale changes. Number three, and this goes for those that may be even a little bit younger, and that is you are never too young to actually make a difference. Your voice matters. And so make sure you are out there trying to do all you can, be all you can. Number four, I would probably say too, in that same vein about training and coming up, you know, don't be afraid, right? You know, sometimes it's easy to get really comfortable, right? But, you know, we can't be at the point where we are afraid to fail at something because even those two times that I lost, the first time, you know, I ran, it was a partisan election and there were some folks that had been in the party for years and I was able to come in second 
during that. So I learned about community engagement. I learned about working with people. I learned about humbling myself through that process. But the biggest thing in that, Ryan, I was learning not to be afraid to do what's on my heart, right? Because the vision was given to me, not necessarily someone else, right? And so I had to learn. But the second experience you know, I learned it was for that city council seat. There's five precincts and I won four. So I went back to the drawing board and I figured out how to work with people. And so I figured out by working and that you can see progress. So no matter what the losses were, I always learned the lesson. But the biggest one is to be fearless and, you know, get out there and try to do something, get involved and be engaged and do it for the right reasons. Because the lows are lower than the highs in this job. And so if you get into politics or you get in these things for the wrong reason, because you believe that it's going to elevate your stature, then I would tell you, and you're a former mayor, you know, yeah, your stature is not elevated by that. It's the work that you're doing in the lives of people every day for people that makes all the difference. And that's why. I'm here, you know, so I'm just appreciative of every moment uh, that I get to serve in this capacity and wake up every morning to think about how I can work alongside people to make this city better. I think that's so true. I remember when I first got elected, one of the older experienced elected folks was like, enjoy today. It's the most popular you'll be. It's all downhill from here. (laughs) In some ways it should be, right? If you're not pushing and losing a little bit of support over time and dealing with tough issues, then you probably shouldn't be in the job. You know, and just really quickly to that point, uh, when I talk about elevating yourself or not. And so the perspective, you know, now, because there's so many needs. I mean, there's a myriad of needs and you know this just as well as I do or anyone else. There's so many needs. And Sometimes the decisions that you make, even for family members or people around, you know, may not be popular decisions. But I will tell you, when you do study, when you do talk to people, you also start to understand that some of the decisions that you're making today are not instant gratification decisions. Some of the decisions that you make today, you know, deep down in your heart that it's going to have a positive impact. But you may be the only person that sees that now, right? And that can be a lonely place, right? But you know you're doing for the greater good of your community. And so you have to be humbly convinced and convicted on making those decisions that may not produce immediate fruit, but you know in the end that it will. Yeah. I was thinking when you were sort of going through the list of good things that are happening right now in Waterloo, that all those projects are like years, if not decades in the making. And it takes a long-term vision to get there, to do big infrastructure projects, economic development projects, you know, community healthcare projects, all that takes a perseverance over time. Yeah. So if you fail to plan and you plan to fail, right? So you have to see it through. As you mentioned, mayors have unending demands on their time. You also have three kids. How do you find the balance to be able to sustain service over a long period of time? Well, I think one, I have an incredible wife. 
My wife is a vice principal at one of our local middle schools. She has a lot going on. She is a Delta Theta sorority. She has a lot going on, but she's amazing. She's very focused. And so, yeah, if it were not for her, we have a good support group with my in-laws and, you know, my mom and her sister and brothers. So we approach all of this as a village. I have incredible friends out there that look after my kids. If I'm not around, you know, they also work. So I wouldn't be able to do anything if there weren't, you know, a village. So very appreciative of that. But in all of this, one, you have to plan. My first year, I got up at, I worked out at 5 a.m., went home, cooked breakfast, got the kids to school by about 7.45. I got to work by 8.30, and I worked to 8 o'clock at night. And before I knew it, that whole year had gone by because I didn't structure my life around it. And so now... All of my children events are on my calendar. I go to my events. I come back to work. But the way that I approach this, though, Ryan, is the mayorship is not a job for me. It's a way of life. You know, it is what I do. It is who I am. So that's the way I approach it. So now I probably haven't had a, a, a nice sleep without my emails going off or whatever, but I have a great support group. I have a good team around me, great city staff, and we are all in this thing together. We are in lockstep. We have five pillars around here that focuses on innovation, equity, community impact, organizational excellence, and collaboration. It took some time to get here, but I have a great team around me at work. I have a village around my family, and I prioritize and plan. Hey, everyone. Before we continue with the conversation, I'd like to ask you to please mark September 21st in your calendar. We're going to be releasing our 200th episode and celebrating five years of an Honorable Profession podcast. To get ready for the milestone, we're looking back on some of the best moments in the show's history. Here's a clip from my conversation with St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones, where she talks about the challenges of campaigning for the state legislature as a single mom. Enjoy. I ran my first run for state rep was as a new mom. My son was three months old uh, and I'm a single mom. So uh, he was three months old when I kicked off my campaign. And how did you do that? How is that possible? (laughs) By the grace of God. (laughs) Um, I actually had decided not to run once I got pregnant. Uh, It was unexpected. And uh, I had a couple of friends who actually were male uh, convince me that it was still uh, still an option that I could pursue. Uh, They kind of laid out a timeline for me uh, and said, oh, well, this is perfect. You'll have the baby in September 2007 and filing isn't until February of 2008. You can you can do this. You can take a few months off and and then get back on the trail in February. And that's exactly what I did with, you know, with my family behind me, um, you know, helping me babysit. But I would literally, when I was knocking doors, when I was running for state rep, I would go pick up my son from daycare, uh, put him in his stroller, strap him in, give him a snack. And uh, we would go knock doors. But, you know, also what I learned is that babies get you votes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also people respect that, you know, what whatever station you're in, that you take the time to um, to knock on their door and to talk to them about why you're running and, and the importance in, of running. To help us celebrate, I hope that you'll tell a friend about the show or rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening all these years. Now back to the show. 
I also note that in addition to your work in the city, you've taken a leadership role as president of the Iowa League of Cities. You were recently named as an advisory board member to the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Why do you think it's also important to work you know, statewide or even nationally on some of these issues in addition to the work you're doing on the ground in Waterloo? You know, serving, you know, when I served as a president for the Iowa League of Cities, that was such an incredible experience because so many amazing leaders in the state that I've had a chance to partner with. But having an advisory role on the Conference of Mayors at this particular point is important because there's no such thing as Republican potholes, Democratic potholes. There's no such thing as when somebody has a need, we first ask, are you a Republican? So mayors have so many common issues And so whether you are in a smaller Midwestern community like Waterloo or you're in L.A., we all have problems and issues and common things that we could work together. So I think it's important to have a diverse group of mayors at the table making decisions to help shape national policy, international policies in the way that we approach to serving the people that we work with every day. I get good ideas from mayors across the country. They get good ideas, believe it or not, from Waterloo, Iowa as well. So whether it's within the state, whether it's within this country, it is so good having a sounding board of like mind, like job folks that are working together every day and sharing those best practices. So I think it's tremendous. And just really one quick example, I met former mayor of LA, Mayor Eric Garcetti, right? I had so many questions when I saw him. So he had a group called the Accelerator for America. So the Accelerator for America, I joined that group. There were mayors from different parts of the country and we shared best practices on opportunity zones, infrastructure, and we were able to positively make an impact. Another example is the work that was done with Honeywell. We were one of five cities selected to do this smart city concept. And we had really worked very hard for all those efforts to become a smart city. So, yeah, it's just been uh, good. That was former Mayor Eric Garcetti, who came to Waterloo and we were able to partner. So there's best practices. There's And we enjoy when you take something from here and use it somewhere else. That's what we do. Absolutely. And I think one of the places that we've seen mayors really advocate and then share best practices is on spending federal dollars, whether it's the American Rescue Plan or the Inflation Reduction Act. Can you talk about how some of those federal dollars are being put to work in Waterloo? Well, let's even take a step back during the pandemic, right? When the current administration was shaping the usages for ARPA dollars, I was fortunate enough to sit on, I think it was the Federal Reserve in Illinois on one of their panels. I was fortunate enough through these mayors association to speak directly on behalf of the National League of Cities, a conference of mayors the accelerator to talk about how those local dollars that are coming from the federals could be used locally, right? Because we know, right? You're right there. You can be in a bathroom stall talking to, and somebody comes up to you and asks you a question. <laughs> Ryan, one that really got me is, you know, you can be at altar call and somebody has a problem and they want to talk to you about it, right? 
but we're on the ground. And so having a mayor's perspective in the national conversation about federal dollars and priorities and how it could be spent on the local level helps us to be able to maximize those dollars that have come. For instance, uh, with the ARPA, you know, it was water, wastewater. There was an area about lost revenue and some other areas. But you notice there was also a portion on there about broadband, right? Because COVID showed us that we need to be a more connected community. And part of those dollars were part of the dollars that we use locally from that ARPA dollars to build a fiber optic system that we're breaking ground on next week. So that's a direct correlation and benefit. Conversations with the Department of Transportation for one of the areas, one of our shopping corridors that is blighted and needs some help, transportation and buses and driving really can't get through that area. So we partner with the DOT to receive a very large grant to fix up this corridor and connect our community. And so we are in a incredible time right now, as you mentioned, to be able to connect directly to those resources. Make a pitch for Waterloo for folks either looking to, you know, live there, visit there, move their company there. What's your pitch for why Waterloo matters? Waterloo, I'll even use a quote from one of our Honeywell folks, George, and that is Waterloo is punching well above our weight. I just today went over with the company and we took a look at additive manufacturing and how we are changing the way that people are doing work every day and the young people we have involved and engaged. We have a quality of life that is second to none with hundreds of miles of trails through our community, theme parks, water parks. So we have incredible quality of life amenities. We are a technologically savvy community with deep agricultural roots. I mean, John Deere has been in Waterloo for over 100 years, and it's one of the leading manufacturers of farm equipment, which impact and help feed the world. We have a diverse community. When you think about Iowa and Waterloo, you don't necessarily think Iowa and diversity, but 70,000 people, 16% African-American, Congolese, Bosnian, Pacific Islander, Latino people are within our community. And so we are an incredibly diverse, innovative, mid-sized community with impeccable quality of life for anyone thinking about visiting our amenities to actually living and building a business here. And I'm the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a mayor who's ready to roll up his sleeves and right. get to work. Always. <laughs> You're running for re-election. As you mentioned, you've been in service for a, quite a number of years. How do you think about the decision to seek re-election, what your goals are, what your priorities will be if you're re-elected? Well, every two years, our elections are two years and there's no term limits, but you're running every two years. And so if folks are done with you, they're done with you. But after every two years, about a year and a half into the journey, I take a look at priorities and check marks and benchmarks that I made for myself. I'm my own worst critique. Well, not really. There's a couple people that may be worse than me, right? 
But I critique the job that I'm doing and whether or not I'm effective, whether or not I still have the hearts and the minds and the collaboration of city staff and that when you talk to a person out in the streets or anywhere, you know, hearing what they say. So those benchmarks I look at, I take them seriously and I pray. And, you know, it is in my heart to continue to be the mayor for City of Waterloo. We're on the move. We have a very aggressive 2030 vision plan uh, that has eight big ideas in eight years. We started in 2022. And there's a lot of work to do within that planning. We have the smart city concept that we're working on with in partnership with Honeywell. We have our fiber project. And so it takes experience. It takes a person that's been involved and been engaged and one that's willing to think outside of the box to solve problems today that we may have created a while ago. You know, affordable housing is a challenge and that's number two in our strategic goal. Number one is flying the W, telling our story. And so there's still a lot of work left to do. And I am so excited to wake up every day to work to fulfill the vision of my community. So I'm running. I like it. I like you running. Frankly, I was so, I read the, your 2030 vision and it was so impressive and ambitious and thoughtful about where you can make these big changes. You know, setting big goals is important. It can be risky if you're an elected official because big goals by definition are hard to reach. How'd you think about setting that vision and it's what its potential impact on the community could be? Well, another quote, I need to start getting the authors, but it wasn't mine, so I'm not going to take credit. But another quote is, no one rises to low expectations, right? And so, yes, you want to have big, broad plans, but it's with the understanding that it takes systematic steps to get to where you need to be. But it also takes the understanding that you can't solve today's problems with the mindset that had created them. And so thinking outside of the box, working like one of our five pillars, which I just mentioned, is collaboration. And that's understanding that it is not just Quentin, the mayor, who can accomplish these things. It's working with a team of incredible people, the 500 plus employees that work with the city of Waterloo. It's investing in them, you know, creating engagement opportunities and making sure that our team is moving in the right direction. But number two, it takes people out in the community to be able to see the vision, want to see a better Waterloo, but also us, we're working to help them to understand where all of these pieces fit. And so through our city staff and through our incredible community, that's where, you know, these changes come from. And then also not limiting the types of partnerships that we may be able to have on the federal level or throughout this entire country. And, you know, not limiting those partnerships just because someone doesn't have the same initial in front of their name. We want to partner. We want to collaborate and we want to move ourselves forward. So that's the mentality we approach. And then lastly, though, Ryan, just really quickly, the way I approach this is not that the mayor is up here and you got 70,000 people under him. It's the other way around that I work for people and that's our staff. We know that we work for this community and that's the way we approach our job every day. I love it. For my last question, I want to get your perspective on the ground in Iowa. Iowa has always played a really important role in national politics. And until recently, it was a swing state. It's since gone red. And I wonder if you can give us a sense as to what you think the future 
of politics in Iowa will be? Well, yes, there's been some substantial changes, right? It used to be the first caucus for Democrats and Republicans. And so that's kind of shifted on the Democratic side. We have a ton of Republican officials that are coming through. And so in one aspect, it's good for them to see the lay of the land. It's good for that leadership to see, hear from residents and community people at the same time. So one half of politics is still being shaped by the caucuses and stuff in Waterloo. And Iowa, the great part is we have really good relationships right now with some of our secretary cabinet positions and with the current administration. What we found out is that cities are not enemies. We are working. Cities are the incubators of innovation and the hub of life. And so that's still important to our administration. So Iowa is still important, but it is changed. But what I'm hoping, though, is from becoming a red state or, you know, whatever colors we put behind it, but that people understand that we have a goal to serve our community and that we need to work together. We need to partner together. No party is on an island. We need to work to shape this place. And so what I want is the politics to move out of the way, serving people every day. And that's what I'm hoping for. So I am cautiously optimistic. I'm a dreamer, but I'm a worker to achieve the dream. And so I just hope that politics in Iowa, don't interfere with good policy that are helping impact the lives of people every day. Amen to that. I want to thank you, obviously, for joining us today, but also for being an important member of the New Deal, as well as so many of these other amazing organizations that are advocating the voices of mayors and their communities uh, across our country to do really transformative projects. And I think it's inspirational what you're getting done there. And we're so proud to have you as part of New Deal. Hey, Ryan, I want to thank New Deal. Just the partnerships, the resources, and the colleagues that I've been able to meet and share with, you can't even put a value on those relationships. And so I want to thank the New Deal for accepting me, first of all, and, and nominating me. But for the work that you do to bring people together from all parts of our community. It's invaluable and it's such a tremendous benefit to all of us here throughout this country and beyond. Thank you. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. Thanks to the team at New Deal for producing this episode. We encourage you to bring honor to public service and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars are used in the making of this podcast.